the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. This is the most interactive show that we do. We are opening up the big old bag of mail. I opened that sucker up last night. I was taking a look through a lot of questions about transfers, you know, some fun proposals. Also a little bit of a response to Danny Cannell, who will be joining us in a little bit to his eight win bowl eligibility requirement proposal uh, and a spotlight on Dan Lanning's recruiting operation, how they have been able to maintain success or or maybe even build on the success that Mario Cristobal had in Eugene. Uh, Of course, we also have headlines coming up. Hey, the Jane Rashada story just keeps on going some conversations allegedly reportedly according to his father that are going to take place here on thursday and a deadline looming friday i will give you all those details in a little bit as well as some other uh, transfer portal ins and outs that we want to highlight but we begin with the the story that is breaking here on thursday morning as we join you at 11 a.m eastern time as the chicago bears are expected to hire Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren as president and CEO. I do not know always the way that these job titles work at the NFL level, but it sure seems that for an organization that is officially family-owned, right, Tom? Uh, Yes. Yeah, I own the Chicago Bears, me and my family. (laughs) Tom Tom Fernelli and his family own the Chicago Bears, that this is the the highest-ranking employee. This is someone who is going to be making decisions on uh, off the field situations, hiring general managers, you know, the right up at the top of the line for decision making. Of course, Kevin Warren uh, was in the NFL prior to being hired by the Big Ten. He was with the Minnesota Vikings. So there's two sides of this. One, obviously, much more pertinent to uh, the Cover 3 podcast, which is what does this mean for leadership at the top of college football as being the commissioner of the Big Ten? It's one of the most powerful positions you can be in in the entire sport. And then number two, since since we got uh, Tom Fernelli right here to, to, to give us his opinion on this, what's, what's this mean for the Bears? So, uh, Tom, I'll let you take first crack at this. What's the, uh, what, 
what what are the many angles of this that stand out to you about Kevin Warren leaving the Big Ten for a spot with the Bears? Uh, it's I think it's a surprise in the timing of it in that I, I feel like I didn't feel like Kevin Warren was, you know, Jim Delaney was in charge of the Big Ten for a long time. Mm-hmm. I felt like Kevin Warren got off to such a poor start in charge of the conference that he was never really destined to be in the role for a very long time. I didn't think it would be this short, but I also think that maybe Kevin Warren, there's a chance that after running the conference, like he kind of came in and did what the primary goal was when he was hired. Like when the Big Ten, they were replacing Jim Delaney, the TV deal was coming up. The number one goal for the conference at that point was to work out a new TV deal to make sure that it stayed ahead of everybody else financially. So they bring in Kevin Warren, who's got plenty of experience in television and in the NFL to help get that deal done. And he did a terrific job. He got the Big Ten a ton of money. Now, I don't know if adding USC and UCLA like is kind of how he got that money. I don't know if that's the wisest long-term decision. It's kind of weird. It's still not really something I think my brain has fully accepted yet, but maybe we'll get used to it like I've gotten used to Maryland, Nebraska, and Rutgers. But he got that done. Now it's kind of a different gig. Like your TV deal's done for a decade. There's a whole lot of other stuff going on in college football right now that we will be seeing as far as regulations and changes with the NIL, with transfers, with everything. Just how they're going to regulate it who's going to take care of it and what it's going to be that I feel like if you don't have a lot of experience actually in college athletics, maybe it's not something he was all that interested in doing. So maybe when an NFL job kind of came sniffing around, because from the Bears side, like Kevin Warren was with the Vikings when they built that stadium they're in that very, very nice stadium bears right now are trying to build themselves a similar stadium in the suburbs of Chicago. So Kevin Warren for the Bears makes a lot of sense in that role to help them get that done. So I do think that this is, while it's a surprise, I don't think if you polled a lot of athletic directors and presidents and just people that you know are in charge in the Big Ten, I don't think you'd have too many people upset about this, honestly, because I think that there's been just with Kevin Warren's start, which was a very, very difficult position to be in with the pandemic. I just think that got him off on a very wrong foot with a lot of people with relationships that he was probably going to have a very difficult time ever really fixing or having people trust him as far as his judgment call for what to do with the league. So it's probably better for all parties involved. It'll be interesting to see what direction they go from here. I'm guessing you're going to see somebody who has more experience as far as college athletics are concerned, whereas you see like the Big 12 went with your mark who did not have much experience as far as college athletics, but they were looking for a TV deal. And I think that's kind of just, you know, what you're going to see. When your TV deal comes up, we want somebody in charge who can help us get the best TV deal. When that's done with, okay, now we got to run our pro, our schools. I, I don't have a ton of a take on this, and it's not because I don't like or, or do like Kevin Warren. I, I just kind of think of conference commissioners for the most part as what are the skills required? If you can, you can be a consensus builder inside the room. You're dealing with a, a diverse set of voices. I mean, some programs like Ohio State are very different in what they want than like a Purdue. And they have different wants and needs, and yet they all exist uh, within the, the same league. I mean, it, it it's kind of like the baseball commissioner. R- Rob Manfred doesn't or shouldn't do things that the owners don't want him to do, right? That's that's kind of what a good commissioner does. He works for the owners. In this case, the owners are 
the schools. I, I wonder if this this job is, like to Tom's point, is easier to fill now because of the big money that they got. And eventually we will get to a spot where the teams are having to pay out their own players. Uh, the Big Ten will be in a better position to do that than almost any other conference, just given the amount of money that they make. So I guess that's the one question I would have is like, if we think this is going to more of a pro model, does it make sense to go sort of more towards the collegiate side of the spectrum with that hire? Uh, but I obviously don't cover the Big Ten, uh, you know, like like Tom does. He lives there. <laughs> uh, can we talk about the Bears? Are you happy to have him as a, as, as a Bears fan? I mean, it's it's team president. I I don't care. They're okay. trying to build a stadium. You know what I mean? I, mean, I, I feel yeah. like it's the is last it closer Bears to your house or further away. Uh, it is further. It's actually closer now where I live. So it's closer, but I don't care. I'm not going to a Bears game. Like I was a season ticket holder for a few years there when they were down in Champaign, came back to Chicago when the new Soldier Field opened. I would rather watch football at home anyway, especially NFL football. Fair enough. I think it is a pivot point in which how far we can accelerate down the line of professionalizing college athletics. Mm-hmm. And I think that the hire that is made because of who the Big Ten is and the space that, that they occupy within the college sports space, I think that that'll tell us whether the Big Ten university presidents are ready to take big steps forward. Because you know, as we're starting to look at it, the landscapes, the candidates that might be on the table fit a couple of those buckets because – there is, you know, obviously in one hand, Jim Phillips, Northwestern athletic director, current ACC commissioner, relationships with a lot of the Big Ten university presidents, relationships with a lot of the Big Ten athletic directors, and someone who, over his time as ACC commissioner, has really tried to drive home a lot of the old collegiate model. You know, we got to think of ourselves as one of 32, not one of five. We got to take care of all of our other sports. Like, a lot of that talk is very much leaning away from moving forward towards professionalizing college athletics. But if they go out there and if they make a hire like, I don't know, like a Mark Silverman, an exec from Fox, or a Burke mm-hmm. Magnus, an exec from ESPN, now we're starting to talk about professionalizing college athletics and capitalizing on college athletics as a television property, as a media property, and as an entertainment uh, business. Those sorts of decisions are going to be made by Big Ten University presidents who, you know, I I have not relitigated what happened during COVID, but Tom, you make a great point, and I know that that's part of this conversation as well, that <clears throat> Kevin Warren thought he was going to be a leader when he shut everything down, and he thought everybody was going to fall in line. And then you know, the SEC and the Big 12 are like, uh-uh, I, no, we're, we're playing these games. We are not going to cancel our entire season. Then Kevin Warren, of course, had to, had to bring the Big Ten back, play a – you know, very, very small schedule. It was very disjointed. And while it got Ohio State into the national championship game, it did not net the Big Ten a national championship like a lot of people had thought. He somewhat, in my opinion, salvages his tenure with the new media deal and the addition of UCLA and USC. It's a little bit of a wash, right? You have started a little bit off, not really being able to read the room of the larger college athletics landscape but you finish it with putting the Big Ten in a position where you are one of the leaders uh, of college athletics moving forward. So if I'm grading the tenure, it was, it was fine. It was, a, it was a fine tenure. You got some of the biggest goals accomplished. You overcame some early hiccups. But in terms of what this means moving forward, the higher to me tells me how quickly we get to the point where, like it's been suggested, conferences are going to lead the way in the NIL business. That schools 
won't pay, play, pay players as much as conferences could enter into NIL deals with all these athletes and be able to pay players. So that is one path for us to get to players getting paid out of the big bucket of money that is media rights deals. I think that a hire of Jim Phillips or somebody who's a former athletic director from the academic side of things, more or less, or the university side, probably means that happens slower. I think a, a media rights, a media exec means that we might get a little bit closer to seeing that as a reality. I will say I agree with you on the TV deal kind of washes it out as far as accomplishments in the conference. But I think from, from based on what I've heard, the decision to postpone, which was then, you know, they started the season, had the short season. It wasn't so much that people in charge disagreed with the decision, although plenty did. It was more that most of them felt like they weren't a part of the decision, which is what put Kevin Warren in kind of a bad spot with a lot of people in charge at the schools he's supposed to be in charge of. So going back, like Bud, Bud was saying, like if you're the commissioner, like in an MLB commissioner role, your job is to keep the owners happy and make sure that they feel involved and like they're part of the process. Right off the bat, he made a lot of people feel like they weren't involved and weren't part of the process, which is kind of what dug in the hole. So I think everybody's very happy with the TV deal. But I don't know that that relationship between him and the people in charge was ever really going to fully heal. On the Phillips point, and I, I, I'm the guy whose AirPods won't connect today. So if we had the echo for like the last two minutes, I apologize. I didn't hit mute when I wasn't talking. I, I think Phillips, I'd be interested to see how he would act if he has cards to play, right? In the ACC, I think it's very clear, like his main thing is keep Florida State, Clemson, and God, hopefully not the Carolinas from leaving this league. And try to placate them somehow, like if you do feel like they have leverage to get out. Cause I definitely think they want out. Maybe not North Carolina, I can't speak for them, but the the schools that are football first, and in some cases like Clemson football only, I I definitely think they want to jump. So the ACC doesn't have a lot of money and cards to play. So Delaney is, I think, or excuse me, not Delaney, Phillips is sort of limited as to what he can say. So he, le- he kind of leans into the things that are non-financial, you know, collegiate model, making everybody happy with lacrosse and all these other sports mm-hmm. that nobody watches, but a lot of, a lot of schools, you know, support. And win championships. Had- like they, like ACC is out here in the, like, we are, a, we are winning Olympic sports championships. And we had 26 championships in the last academic year. Like there's, there's right. a lot of point to that. And you could triple the number of championships in sports nobody watches, and and the, the the cards he would have to play would be the same because those don't bring in any money. So the, the Big Ten is more like a business, and I, I'd be like, would Phillips act the same in the Big Ten as he does in the ACC? Maybe he'd be like, hey, my message is consistent, you know, collegiate model, blah 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 blah. Work behind the scenes like a gangster to uh, you know, move the Big Ten forward. I just I think he's limited to what he can do in the ACC. All right, so listen, Lynn, Lynn and I. Been watching Jack Ryan lately, so a lot of espionage on the brain. All right. What if Jim Phillips went to the ACC to develop, you know, contacts, sources, North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia Tech, any school he wants, with the understanding that Kevin Warren would get the TV deal done? And then Kevin Warren would leave after he gets the TV deal done. And then Jim Phillips would come back to the Big Ten with his contacts in the ACC and pull them to the Big Ten, and they go to 20 teams. Wow. You can get Georgia Tech twenty dollars. I think I think they leave the yeah. league right now. They're, they're, they're broke as a joke. So I did think Danny Cannell joining the conversation as well, fresh off CBS Sports HQ. So I did think about remember in the Alliance, like 
Jim Phillips agreed to the alliance, and then the Big mm-hmm. Ten just stabbed everybody in the back and like went to, went to the front of uh, college athletics with the new TV deal. I mean, it's that that's really him paying his respects to the pe- to the people at the back room of the Big Ten. Be like, hey guys, I showed you what I can do for you. I blocked this college football playoff expansion until you were ready to move forward. So that now I've shown you the sacrifices that I can make. Will you now choose me as your new commissioner? It's a done deal, right? I mean, don't we all expect that that's going to happen? Jim Phillips to the Big Ten? I, I don't. I expect him to be on the very short list of top candidates. Mm. I do think that there's the possibility that they could end up going with someone from the TV side of things. I'll also throw my hat in the ring. Yeah. I will run the league if they have me. Yeah. What I'll, about us as a group? Like, why you got to leave us out? We could run. It. I will hire. I would hire the three of you in a heartbeat to work for the, me. The ACC might hire us because who the heck that oh would God. open up a whole nother can of worms. But if you're looking at the situations, the way things have unfolded, like, of course you would go to the big 10. It's the, you know, it's one of the two super conferences, you know, being in LA, being around some, you know, football people on that side. The only question was, you know, Jim Phillips, what does he do then with the big 10? If everything's already in place and you've got some of these situations that could unfold that aren't going to be too pleasant, do you try to stay at the ACC and put your stamp on the ACC with more upside of your legacy and what you could bring to the conference? Does that make sense? I I think that it's kind of nice that you don't have to deal with the media rights negotiation and all you have to do is keep university presidents happy. Like that's where Jim Phillips makes a lot like, of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where Jim Phillips is like, I I mean, I I can do this. Like that's if I was Jim Phillips, I would sell myself like you don't need someone to, you know really go through and Svengali everybody in conference realignment. You don't need somebody to go play hardball because you've got this media rights deal built out for the next little bit. All you need to do is just keep all the university presidents in line, and I'm better suited for that than most of the other candidates on this list. Let's see. Um, we mentioned it at the top of the show. Very, very important conversations going on right now between Jaden Rashada's family and representatives of the University of Florida or the University of Florida or people around the program? We'll see because his father has said he has not filed a request for a release from his national letter of intent as it was rumored or maybe even reported at one point on Wednesday. Uh, Harlan Rashada telling 24-7 Sports Brandon Huffman he is still signed with Florida. He hasn't enrolled yet. He's currently in California we're having a conversation with Florida, and that conversation's happening today. We're in constant talks with Florida. I'd like to think if he's not enrolled by Friday, there will be some challenges there to proceed as planned. The challenges include the fact that Florida has already started classes and that Friday is the last day for drop ad. So if he, while he's in the student directory, is not enrolled at Florida by the end of Friday, things could get a little bit complicated. Harlan Rashada says, we are working through some things right now with Florida and are hoping they get resolved soon. So I will revisit the question posed at the end of last uh, the last episode on Wednesday. Do you think that Jaden Rashada, the number six quarterback uh, nationally in his class, the number six prospect from the state of California and a top 30 player the 2023 class, but I'll let you get first crack at this. Do you think Jaden Rashad is going to end up playing for the Florida Gators in 2023? 
No, uh, I'm, I'm about 24 hours later. I've, I've flipped for this. I, I think that thing is uh, is not going to not going to happen. Uh, so our uh, our swamp 24 seven site, Jacob Rudner, we said yesterday, you know, read his report. This is nothing to do with transcripts. It's entirely about an NIL uh, grievance. And the Orlando Sentinel, uh, Edgar Thompson, reported that it was over a 13 million dollar NIL package that has collapsed. This is the natural consequence of teams not wanting to make players employees, and thus they still have market value, so you have to rely on third parties to do your pseudo payroll. This is not just the Gators. It's everybody out there. It's kind of an issue we have in this sport. If the schools and coaches want to keep all the money for themselves, yet the players still drive value, other people who have interest in the team winning will provide them with said value, but you lack control over over those third parties if you're at the school sometimes. So uh, that is a bit of an issue here. Okay, if you want a tea leaves read thing here, right? If you're Florida, how confident are you that all this went down in a clean manner? <laughs> mm-hmm. Very. Because like, remember, in the state of Florida, school employees are not supposed to have any involvement. I think a cu- couple goals that I would have if I was the school and a couple goals that I would have if I was Rashada. If I'm Rashada, I'm, I'm ticked. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, first of all, I don't know if I believe the $13 million thing. Like it's the Orlando Sentinel. It's a reputable newspaper. That number does seem high based yes. on figures that I trust that other players got. Like if you told me 8 million or 9 million over four years, I could believe that 13 million to me just intuitively does seem high. Um, if I'm Rashada, like if he was my client, I'd want to get a little settlement out of this. If I'm Florida and I think the relationship is fractured, I probably want to come out of this with, with an NDA attached to that settlement let the kid hit back the open market we don't oppose the waiver the relationship's fractured if it is indeed fractured i don't think he's going to florida at this point um shout out to brandon huffman for actually getting the kid's dad on the horn and reporting accurately as opposed to just whatever that was last night uh so waiver not officially applied for yet i could buy that so like is this a situation where somebody was like, I will give this kid $13 million to leave Miami to come to Florida. And then that somebody was like, wait, I'm giving this kid how much? Why the hell am I giving this kid $13 million? There's no way in hell I'm paying a high schooler $13 million. I was drunk. I was out of my mind. I was crazy. And now that person is just like, nah. And now it's all falling apart. Is that what happened here? I don't know. I mean, clearly, like, the kid wanted to go to Florida. Uh, and then now he's not enrolling in Florida. So... We're trying to read tea leaves here. I, I'm just saying, I don't even know if he's not going to go to Florida. If I was repping the kid, I would try to get some settlement money out of it, right, and then hit the open market again. If I'm the school, I probably just want the, assuming that I can't repair the relationship, I'd probably just want this to go away, and I'd want the story of how this all went down to not be told mm. and not get sued. So I'll give you an analogy that I had probably about 10, 15 years ago church I went to in South Florida had a big capital campaign, raising a bunch of money. And they wanted to raise a hundred million for a new building and stuff. And there was one person who gave 10 million bucks and they brought him up in front of the whole congregation. Like, Hey, thank you. Woo. But he pledged, Turn- right? <laughs> yeah. Pledged 10 million bucks. And then, you know, six months goes by and they're getting ready to start break ground. And all of a sudden you get word that the guy that was up there, He's like AWOL, nowhere to be found. And I think he was like a total fraud, like didn't have any, like didn't have any of the backing to do it. Ends up like the whole campaign falls apart. It's a mess. 
that's to Tom's point. Like, also, like, isn't this, Bud? You, I think, feel like you probably have been the most dialed into this Florida situation. Is he the only one that's revolved around the issues? Weren't there meant? Weren't there other issues with Florida's collective and how much the money was actually there? Because you'll get a lot of people pledge early, but then you don't have the cash on hand when you actually have to make the payment, and it's becoming. I don't want to say Ponzi scheme, but like it kind of is you're shuffling money around. And as you're waiting on money to come in, you need money going out. That's not there. Is that accurate or is that? Well, I, I definitely don't want to call Florida's collective a Ponzi scheme. No. I, 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 right. Um, look, I, in any sort of endeavor where you're taking pledges, like this is just all types of like issues happen in all kinds of fundraising. I don't know specifically with Florida. They did have like one collective thing and then they have multiple. That's been the case at a lot of schools. It doesn't mean that they needed to bail out or something like that. I don't necessarily know. Um, and look, I mean, maybe they just had disagreement over terms. This is one of the things is it's not like information on this is public and no party really has an interest in the full information being out right now. Right. Everybody wants to tell their side of the story. I mean, I'd like to hear it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, but spitting this forward, though, like if Rashada doesn't end up at Florida, like let's, again, this is reading tea leaves and I, I don't like dragging any kid through this. So I, I'm going to put this out as parents more than anything. But he, had, he starts in Miami. Some reason he went to Miami. For some reason he changed his mind and went to Florida. For some reason he's changing his mind and now he might be going somewhere else. If you're a coach... Do you want this kid knowing that somebody could come with a larger offer at any point and he seems willing to jump at it? I have felt myself acting older as these stories have come out where I'm like, he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it bad enough. He's all about me. Not going to be good in the locker. I mean, just like <clears throat> all of the like stereotypes that I would have like bristled at maybe even five, 10 years ago. And may maybe it is getting even grayer than I am, but I'm just sitting there like, and I don't, I don't know if it's worth it. It's college football. I, I think I, I just saw Stetson Bennett and Max Duggan play against each other in the national championship game. I mean, if if you can maintain a a a better environment, I'm not going to use like the capital C culture word, but if you can maintain a better environment and have a certain type of player, uh, OKG and our kind of guy, then you know, maybe maybe it's not worth it, especially at the 13 million price. 13 million is a lot of money. It is. Um, I would take it if somebody offered it to me. Like, okay. <laughs> don't you think it's more like, is there any chance there's a decimal point missing, like 1.3 a year? Or do you think 13 is legit? 1.3 is way low over four. Well, excuse me. Wait, hold on. A year. 1.3 a year would not be crazy to me. 13 a year is not like, I haven't seen 13 million a year reported anywhere. When I saw 13, when I read the 13 in the Orlando, it was Sentinel, a package. That's what I, my head went to 13 million. I think your best quarterbacks out there are probably getting between like 1.75 and 3.25 per year. Per. Okay, per. No quarterback out there is getting $13 million. To my knowledge, that's not even passed around in rumors. You know, like like, like that's just – no. So, again, that's a great point because if you have that question, I bet your audience does too. And, I, I yeah, we should have clarified it off, off the jump. My read of this, like my intuition was if $13 million is accurate – Again, don't want to say the Orlando Sentinel is wrong because I don't know what the actual number is. That would be over four years. With a fat signing bonus, right? Like with a like this much up front. And maybe it's that upfront check that is tough to pull together right now. If you're getting a $13 million deal 
out of high school, whether it's for four years or whatever the hell it is, do you still have to live in the dorms? Like, can you work it into the contract where it's like, I get to have an off-campus apartment right from the jump? I mean, you probably have to. Uh, well, I, I don't know what Florida's rules are as far as living on campus, but I mean, you got enough money to like maintain a little side apartment <laughs> if you yeah. want. To. Yeah, you could. Yeah. I mean, you could have multiple. I'm yeah, saying, you could like, have a yeah. ski chalet in Colorado too if you want. Buying <laughs> apartments and renting them to my teammates. Yeah, like, the university yeah. has me in a dorm room that yeah. I can stay, which in. I own. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just named um, after me, by the way. It's in Jaden Rashada Hall on the South Campus. <laughs> So yeah, Florida fans like this sounds like we're going to have a, a resolution on this one way or the other by the end of the weekend. Um, and functionally, you know, if he gets released, is there, is there like a close on what does he have to wait until the next signing day? Uh, if you're released, you could still go somewhere uh, that as long as you can enroll or you can enroll in the summer. Right. That's the thing. If you're not released, then it gets complicated. Mm. Mm. my guess here is that if he does not want to go to florida he will get released eventually i do not think i don't think that they would want to continue to drag this out beyond where it has gone i got a crazy crazy off the wall question hit us is he any good like, how does he stack up? Like, we're talking so much. I'm with Tom. I've seen four-star. I've seen five-star. And yet, I've seen a lot of four. Like, but is he any good? I guess I'll leave it with you. Yeah, he's got a good stroke, uh, good good deep ball. He is one of the older kids in the class. So, you know, like projecting on him, it's sort of a little bit of what you see is what you get. Uh, he's the number seven quarterback in the class, I, I think, on, on, on a lot of places, which, like, that's a good player, right? That's a guy that can help you. Certainly a, a dude who you know, a lot of collectives would would be willing to pay for. But he's not like, in my opinion, Arch Manning, Nico, you know, Trevor Lawrence level kid. Jackson so Arnold. I would take Arnold over him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just think it's more of a more of a sure thing. So um yeah, he, he's a good player. Like if he's back on the open market, teams will, will definitely still want him. Uh, but I mean, Walker Howard, right? Followed Brian Kelly from from Notre, you know, like, like wanted to play for Brian Kelly. Notre Dame was the major threat to Brian or to LSU during Walker Howard's recruitment last cycle. We talked about this when LSU hired Brian Kelly. Walker Howard signs with LSU and Kelly. Garrett Nussmeyer, the last two games, has thrown the absolute piss out of the ball and looks like, oh my gosh. I mean, Jaden Daniels should be worried going into spring now. Based on those last two like games of clips, he's really throwing it well. Walker Howard is in the transfer portal. Early buzz in the rumor cycle is TCU. So Ooh. yeah, look, I mean, same rating as Rashad. <laughs> Even though they're highly rated, doesn't always mean they work out. Are the odds better that you work out if you're highly rated? Yeah, in general, we're not perfect, but we like the five stars hit at a much higher rate than the three stars do. Um, Walker Howard into the transfer portal. Again, we still have six more days in this transfer portal window uh, for him to be able to land at a new school. <clears throat> Got to think that if TCU's in the mix, they are, uh, they're on the phone trying to pull that together here pretty quickly. Uh, one more uh, transfer portal note that stood out to me, Jordan Birch, extremely talented edge rusher, part of that notable exodus of talent from the South Carolina football program. Uh, he has committed to Oregon. We talked about Birch a lot 
Um, does does this sort of just fall in? And we're going to talk about Dan Lanning here in the big old bag of mail, so you know, we can save some of that if, if needed. But what are, what is Oregon getting in Birch, and, and what is the expectation in terms of how he fits into Oregon's defense next year? They're getting a really talented player who has flashed at times. I mean, a former five-star kid uh, was a big-time recruiting battle, uh, one that Will Muschamp uh, won, and they beat out. It was like Georgia and Florida and some other schools for Clemson a little bit uh, down the stretch. Apologies if I misremember the exact timeline on this. It was you know three cycles ago. Uh, but a guy who I think still has a long way to go to reach his potential. And if you're Oregon, look, God just doesn't place a lot of these big body athletes out west. So if you're going to have success at Oregon, you have to go east and south to find the big body dudes that you need to win at the high level. Oregon also plucked A.J. Cornelius one of the top-rated offensive tackles in the transfer portal from Rhode Island. So I think it's a it's a nice get for Oregon. They need these big-bodied guys up front if Dan Lanning is going to have success. And uh, I, I will say, in defense of Shane Beamer, yes, South Carolina is getting raided in the transfer portal this year, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And like they're probably not going to be as good next year as they were this year. But I think the vast majority of the guys who have left South Carolina have been must-champ guys guys at Will signed. So maybe, like, I don't think it's an indictment on the culture that he's trying to instill with the guys that he has signed. Maybe his culture just didn't always take with the guys who were left over from Muschamp. Yeah, and I, I think as a player, like, Birch is, you mentioned the size and the ability. He's somebody who, when I watch him, you see the talent. You don't really see a lot of the technique yet. Like, he's kind of just, if he can overpower you or run by you, he's pretty good, but like he gets a lot of pressure, but he doesn't really get home. And I think he needs some work just on like his hands and his placement and his moves. And he could really, I think there's a really good player in there. And maybe he's hoping Dan Lanning and Dan Lanning's hoping they can get it out of him. If he hits, he's first round. Yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, that's, that's like, that's the why do we go get Dan Lanning? Because he also can go back to the Southeast and be able to go and, and keep uh, keep creating a pipeline. will be very interesting to keep track of. More on Dan Lanning coming up in the big old bag of mail. And coming up on the other side, we open up that big old bag of mail. A lot of transfer questions and a proposal, or at least a counter question for DK's eight-game bowl eligibility proposal. We'll get into all that and more next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back here on the Cover 3 Podcast, a reminder, the best way to get a question into the big old bag of mail is to go and leave us a five-star review. And in that review, 
Put your question. Uh, we're going to be hitting the mailbag a lot here in the offseason. It's a chance for us to catch our breath, do deep dives on some of the topics that are, are burning in y'all's minds. And it's always fun to get a little interactive. This first question comes from Daniel. Daniel says, the only podcast I have on auto download, I do my best to never miss a Saturday night live show or a locks pod. I had a random thought that I would like to get your opinion on in the big old bag of mail. Did Cade McNamara jump in the portal too soon? I'll explain my thoughts on the situation. If Cade wasn't already committed to Iowa or could have possibly could, could it possibly have been a Tua coming in for Jalen Hurts in the national championship game situation? What if Cade was on the bench and available to come in maybe at half and but definitely probably after the second pick six? Then he goes on to say, imagine all the NIL money or draft stock left on the table if he would have led the team to victory against TCU and for the sake of the argument, beats Georgia on Monday night. Nah, he ain't doing that. Uh, now I know it might be a bad example because Cade did get injured. But what is something to think about for kids who are in a quarterback battle at fall camp and definitely it lingers into the season? P.S. Please edit down and pare down if needed for the mailbag question. But I would really like to hear y'all's opinion on this. Uh, so yeah, he he noted it, and I when I passed along the topic to y'all, I said we have to operate in a fictional world where he doesn't suffer a season a knee injury that later requires season-ending surgery in the UConn game because he wasn't available. His transfer is you know built around the world where he's focused on rehab. So if he's not hurt. And if he is available on the bench, could you have seen a Cade McNamara to a Jalen Hurts situation? You could have seen McCarthy benched, possibly, yes. Would you have seen a comeback? I doubt it. I mean, I, I think the J.J. McCarthy won this job for a reason. J.J. McCarthy, the coaching staff felt, was the better player for what they want to do on offense. And I think Cade McNamara, when you look at how he played it when he was the starter at Michigan, was good on the short stuff was pretty good on the long stuff, the deep stuff, like not great, but above average. It was the intermediate stuff that he really struggled with. That's what McCarthy was much better with than McNamara was. So maybe switching it up kind of just changes the, you know, the momentum, the juice, whatever you want to call it, gets things revitalized and they can get a few plays and they get back into the game. But I don't, if you wait till after the second pick six, I don't know what changes. Because it's not like Michigan's defense was having a terrific day and stopping TCU and getting them the ball back with a bunch of chances to win. It's They weren't really playing well on either side of the ball in that game. It's not like it was just one player who cost them the game. So, no, I disagree with the premise. Would he want to go in to the game and burn his red shirt? Wasn't he already out? I'm like, like, trying to think here. Was, was he already? Yeah, he was under four. So th would, this would have been his fifth or this – this, this would have been his fourth. fourth. So he did have he did have one to burn. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, and they, didn't they put in that rule too? Like right before bowl season that kind of flew under the radar that bowls would not count as a game against correct. your eligibility? Yeah. Um, right. I get what he's saying. I think a better example, like if you want to make the case for guys to stick around and see things through, and don't look further than Max Duggan, who lost the starting job to Chandler Morris. Chandler Morris gets hurt. He gets thrown back in there, and the rest is history. He played himself into probably getting drafted this season. But as far as, like, I don't know, like... Sliding doors, would he have been able to come in? I mean, we're, we are talking about two uh, starting NFL quarterbacks that were sharing the same NFL, this sharing the same room mm -hmm. as opposed to J.J. McCarthy, who might be an NFL quarterback one day, and Cade McNamara. It's a 
it's a little bit of a different situation as well. I almost felt like Harbaugh had, by making the switch and going with McCarthy, you kind of probably would have gotten a longer leash. Like he's the guy. I don't want to create any kind of tension. I don't want to go back. I'm sticking behind him. I, I just think he probably, I don't think he would have benched him in that situation. It was, I mean, if you go back to the uh, Jalen Hurts to a thing, it was awful. They had three points on the board. Like it, mm-hmm. it was, I thought it was ugly. nothing. Wasn't it 13? It might've been zero. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, they were not moving the ball at all. He was the problem. Like it was an issue. Uh, and I get pick sixes are not good, but he also, if that touchdown gets called a touchdown, the one they reviewed, it's like, a very different game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, he transfers, right? If you bench him, like if you're McCarthy, you told me it's my job. You're going to let me work through it. If you bench me in that, in that spot, I'm leaving you. I'm not going to trust Jim Harbaugh anymore. I'm, I'm like, mm-hmm. I know I can get a million dollars plus on the open market as a, as a really talented quarterback transfer piece if you bench me there i don't know because he knows the mcnamara won't be back next year but i just you know what you know what Cade mcnamara really could have done to help michigan in that game could have been on the sideline in the last few minutes went up behind jim harbaugh tapped him on the back of the shoulder and said coach we have three timeouts you know we could start using them at any point we don't have to wait until there's a minute left in the game yeah those timeouts just a. This is kind of lost how terrible yeah, 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 Harbaugh was, was with like the time management at the end of that game. The storyline from that game, but still, you could argue uh, just as significant. Uh, all right, this uh, this next question comes from username America Needs Farmers. Tight. Iowa fan. Iowa. Let's go Hawkeyes. Yep. Hashtag mm-hmm. ANF. Um, fun listen, lots of knowledge and experience between Chip, Danny, Bud, and Tom. Very informative, but I also love the back and forth banter and the humor they bring. I feel like I'm having a college football convo with my buddies. With many kids in the portal these days, do you think it would make sense in the middle of December to have some sort of college combine so the coaches could get a look and talk to players rather than chase them down or kids posting their practice clips on social media? A college combine for transfers in the middle of December. I'm just going to just start off by saying, like, I'm in. Like, Why does it have to be middle of December? If we want to own the calendar, wouldn't it be like right after spring football when they're kind of in spring shape and we can own a little more of the calendar? Or do we do it like Janu- like right like during the senior bowl, maybe like try to steal some of the NFL eyeballs or dur- week actually calls? just do it during the combine. Like why not have a <laughs> NFL combine and a college combine? Well, Cause I do think it would be important to have it before. Well, you got school. That's the only problem. Yeah. We got to do it before yeah. the semester. That's, <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, it needs to be class. It does need to be <laughs> in December. Uh, yes. if, listen, if we do kill off the bowls, then yeah, we do need this. We need this bowl season daily. If bowl season daily is going away, give us a college transfer combine. We need to be able to do this. I, I like it because it would bring, I don't know, some standardization to the transfer portal process. One of the things we've heard the coaches talk about is how crazy it is to be trying to do all these things at once. Like what if, what if we did bring everybody together and there was transfer portal window was maybe a little bit shorter. The college combine was a big part of it. And you know, we get some, Get, get some standardized looks at everybody. People, Players can get interview with coaches, multiple coaches all at once. I think it'd save money. I think it'd save time. And like you mentioned, Danny, it'd be quite a spectacle for the uh, college football media. This is coming. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know like official details, but like, and I don't think it'll be a national thing because I, I, there's, it's a lot of money to fly people. But I guarantee you on like the local regional level, 
you'll have people that organize this. Everybody in the portal from you know Orlando or Miami, come on, you'll 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 get a stats company or a data company like a stats bomb or a catapult, right? To put put the uh, little like GPS like you know uh, strap on, and then everybody will you know get height, weight. You know they'll, they'll run 40s, whatever. They'll do mile an hour, which is what schools are increasingly going to as far as what they care about. Just sort of, sort of baseline updated things because a lot of times one of the limitations in recruiting the portal is uh, a lack of new measurements. Now, in many cases, kids nowadays are they get new photos from the school and they show like how much you know weight they put on. You know the whole like like yoke, yoked up pose they do showing their transformation, uh, but that could be in the works like i'm pretty sure it's already happening somewhere especially with some of these trainers that have like a large following that wouldn't be that hard to put together right um national combine i kind of doubt it also i wonder if eventually teams end up sharing their data as far as like because a lot of these guys wear these trackers in practice you know and i wonder if that's not just packaged and sold as a product hey if this kid enters the portal Here's the data that he accumulated on his GPS tracker at the prior school. Mm. Who was the lineman that was trending during bowl season? The guy, redheaded kid, and they had him like as a freshman, and then they had him as a senior, and he like put on like 50 pounds, but he also lost like four teeth. (laughs) Like wasn't it his hair was much longer? Do you remember that guy? Wasn't it South Dakota State from the? Yeah, I think it, I thought it was one of the. But then I was like, why wasn't it turned? It was probably during the playoffs. Yeah, I think it was the early Mm -hmm. round of the playoffs. Yeah. Is I mean, recruit that guy? Yeah, <laughs> that guy's beefed up and seen some things. Uh, all right, I like the idea that yeah, and, and Bud, you're probably right. It's probably not going to be national. It's probably not going to be sponsored. But in the same way, it's let me guess. The DNA is in satellite camps, right? Where yeah. we're gonna we're gonna sit there and all of these coaches and all of these prospects from this regional era area are all going to be coming, and that's going to be your opportunity to. Uh, create some sort of scouting type situation. North Dakota State says the chat. But um, all right, next question comes from Sports Ball Armchair Expert. This pod is great. <laughs> this pod is great <laughs> for all CFP fans. Just listen to one episode and you'll understand. As I sit here in annoyance at the number of times per game these commentators mention who isn't playing d- due to the portal, it's got me thinking. How much pandemonium would be caused by allowing portal players to play in the bowl games of the school that they have committed to? May see some late cuts and portal additions to the four-team playoffs, I suppose. We're talking transfer deadline. We're talking being able to bring in someone as an instant impact right away. Are we in? Do we like this? Hey. One game. What's that? I was gonna say like a one game contract or no, I think that you've you're you commit to the school and then you get to come join it right away, similar okay. to how early enrollees sometimes join for bowl practice, but this yep. time they would also be allowed to play in said game. Um, what was the one thing like why are we in this position with free movement? Well, the coaches, they're allowed to do it. Well, the coach didn't we just see Luke Fickle take yeah. the headset mm-hmm. on the Wisconsin head uh sideline? Like if that's the barometer for what we use to like decide what we can do and what we can't do, why can't they? Well, I'm pretty sure Luke Fickle was enrolled in classes, so it was okay. Right, Again, and I do understand classes. That Son of us. Fundamentally, <laughs> the reason why this can't happen as the rules stand right now 
is that you need to be a part of the university to play for the school. But if we enter in one of these future football worlds where athletic departments are just businesses that are paying the university for the licensing to call themselves that's the football team of that school, then we've disconnected the need for all of the players to necessarily be enrolled in classes, and this could happen. I just think it would create a tremendous, like, all of a sudden, wide receiver comes in. He's got two weeks to get ready for the playoffs. Be massively interesting. But, like, if we're going to go, which I all think we think we're going down this road where there are employees and there's contracts, don't you have to have a trade deadline? I mean, if, if we're getting into professional sports... And then you have to have a player either get cut or traded something in return, which, I mean, if we're going down this road, I'm like, let's just go down it and make the system set up so that there's some fairness and that there's some uh, competitive balance around the game. I'm okay with it. But like, if, unless we get there, it's just, oh, that's a mess. So like, would they if- make them go through the acclimation period still? Because like when you join the team, Every year you have to do like the three days in helmet only and Danny was like one day in shells before you can actually hit and things like that. I wonder yeah. also you, you would have to like learn the new playbook and learn the, the actual scheme stuff. It, it's not that it's impossible, but I I don't know, it'd be interesting. Wide receiver could do it. Yeah. Like nine daggum routes. Just figure out which exactly. one you gotta which one you gotta do three. on that particular play. <laughs> what if let's let's take this to a completely different level. All right, forget transfers. Danny, you're talking about we're professionalizing it anyway. What if we add a trade deadline in season in which teams are allowed to trade a player on their program if the player is willing to another program? So like say Alabama suffers an injury at wide receiver and there's a receiver on another pro team not really going anywhere this year. They're sitting there. They're four and six. They've got to win out to get to a bowl game at best. That team can then, if the player wants, the player wants, trade that player to Alabama in return for scholarships or just, you know, NIL funds to help pay for more players in the future. What if we just do that? Like, that's what I think, like, what happened last year. That's what I was trying to say when Pitt got hosed with Jordan Addison. Like, they put in a lot of equity. They developed him. They gave him the opportunity. He had the platform. He had a good quarterback. And then they lose him. They actually had the deals in place. They thought we're going to keep him happy. They lose him. They get nothing in return, which is different than coaches. If a coach leaves, there's a buyout. You got to pay him some money. Mm. I'm with you, Tom. Like either scholarships, NIL money, some sort of payment so that those teams aren't just left completely hanging. And I think the group of five, like you talk about money, the group of five players that end up leaving their programs, that money potentially could mean a lot to their budget. Mm-hmm. Oh, now we're getting into soccer. Nothing's yeah. better for a mid-tier team than one of those Premier League clubs coming around and sniffing at your your player. You can just send him on and then go and invest in a bunch of other projects along the way. DDB asks in the comments, what about transferring credits? In this crazy scenario, we are no longer schools. We yeah, yeah. The athletic departments, <laughs> athletic departments are franchises mm-hmm. that are paying the universities uh, in order to to call themselves Oregon or, you know, whoever. <clears throat> Add on to uh, DJ Tut CLT in the chat. CLT, that's Charlotte, right, Chip? Uh, he's listening to us in the concrete truck, and he wants more master volume on this stream yard. I'm not really sure we have control. Like, I don't know if we can make, collectively make it, but, like, shout out the concrete truck. We, we, is he watching us in the concrete truck? 
Cement mixer round and round, he spins his big drum. <laughs> Cement mixer round and round, pours concrete by the ton. All right. Uh, Jimmy, the two guys on this show, that, that Jim, song is different young right children. now. Yeah. <laughs> and I live near a concrete mixing plant. So, I mean, just endless entertainment. Oh, that's where the bodies are. You could never make me commissioner. <laughs> You can you can hire me to work on your staff. <laughs> you, you, you commissioner. Uh, Jimmy says, love the podcast. 10 out of 10 every time. Y'all in pick six. Make my bike ride commute in the cold easy. Danny, for your eight win requirement for the bowl game idea, would you be concerned with teams scheduling cupcakes in the non-conference? An upper middle of the pack team that could go 500-ish in league play that might schedule cupcakes to ensure eight wins. Thanks. Um, did he, did he check Michigan's non-conference? Well, I was going to say this already happens. It just happens with programs that are going to go three and six in conference play that then schedule the three cupcakes to make six and six. And I would have similar, like no FCS wins don't count. It'd have to be, uh, FBS opponents. But I think other than that, like, good luck. And sometimes I think it is good if you get like, if you're a program that's trying to think, trying to turn things around, if you need some easier wins to create some confidence, some minimum, I'm okay with that. I just would have a problem with the FCS wins because those are a little bit too easy. And right now, you do have scheduling requirements that in your non con, one of them has to be a, a power conference opponent, for example. Like, you cannot. Uh, in the SEC, I believe, and the ACC, you've got four non-con games, but one of them has to be a Power Five opponent. Is that is that correct? I know it is in the ACC, but I'm not sure about um, the Southeastern Conference. I'm not. I think I don't know if it's an actual rule, but I think it's just kind of a. Did they pass that rule? I don't know if the SEC has. The ACC does. Yeah, I remember they were talking about it, but I can't remember if they actually passed it. Did Mississippi State play a Power Five non-conference this year? They played. I know they played what Memphis. They played Arizona. Okay, there we yeah. go. Yeah, I'm trying to think now. Uh, I don't know if it's on the books, but I I think SEC teams do generally play at least one Power Five opponent. And then your nine-game conference schedule gr- crowd does not have that requirement, as we saw with Michigan this year. Colorado Michigan State. Michigan doesn't play FCS teams, though. Mm, that's I don't true. Think, in fact, I think Michigan and Notre Dame are the only two programs remaining that have never played in FCS. No, wait, no. Michigan played FCS. They played App State, and they lost. It's USC and Notre Dame who've never played FCS. <laughs> Tom with the ultimate troll. <laughs> um, all right. One, uh, one more question before we get out of here. Uh, tremendous job covering uh, signing day in each and every bowl game. Question. When Oregon lost Mario Cristobal last offseason to Miami, many thought it could set the Ducks program back on the recruiting front. How has Dan Lanning built off that success slash improved it? Is Oregon a recruiting machine now? If they continue to recruit like this, how will they be uh, targeted in terms of Big Ten SEC realignment matter? And will they be able to continue to strive to be elite moving forward? I'll say, yeah, I'll bite. Like they've got resources. They've got, I mean, the only thing that's really a struggle for them is regionally where they're located, but they haven't had that much of a problem going in. I think, I'm curious, do you guys know, have they had many top three classes historically ever? 
No. I didn't think so. But like they could get into the top seven or eight, right? Like, and I think that's where Dan Lanning could take them. Yeah. Go ahead, bud. I mean, are we sure that Oregon isn't cool with just staying in the Pac 12 and, and making the playoff? I mean, in the new in the new Pac 12, given Oregon's spending, it's you figure what, like five percent of the time somebody other than Oregon, Utah, Washington will win the Pac-12. So about 95% of the time, it's going to be one of those three just based on who prioritizes football and who doesn't. I mean, you're going to the playoff not every other year, but two or three times in a five-year span, probably. Uh, that's not the worst thing to, to stay and, and consistently grab the playoff bid. Uh, and if you do so, you, maybe you can leverage something from the Pac-12 that says, hey, uh, here's a, a larger share of that playoff or like, you know, Hey, if you make the playoff kind of make it, take it type setup. I don't know. Yeah. The way the NCAA tournament does with units where like, mm-hmm. you know, you're able to get the money and then be able to pay it out. It will, will be interesting to, uh, to see that. I think that um, in the same way, the college football playoff expansion slowed the consolidation of conferences and, and, you know, us powering ahead to this 32 teams, two conference mega world. Uh, I think that, you're probably right, bud, and that Oregon, in terms of as it continues to build its success, would rather put trophies in the case than be fourth or fifth, you know, in the Big Ten. It, I think in terms of the recruiting front, the hire of Dan Lanning is what has allowed that group to not miss a beat. Dan Lanning, obviously very successful, the leading defenses, but also as part of that recruiting operation at Georgia, which is one of the best staffs in the world at this whole talent acquisition business. And so for him, um, that he's so young, 36 years old. He's so young. We got a long, long runway that we've got right now with the Dan Lanning, Oregon experience. He's got a real chance to build something special. And if you are, as Bud mentioned, making it to the playoff every other year, then you're going to have the kind of eyeballs on you to continue to broadcast the opportunities that are going to be there for, for future Oregon Ducks. So I, I think it's a recruiting machine and I think that it's got a really good outlook moving forward. Yeah. Landon in the chat says Oregon is taking the Gonzaga college basketball route and calling the rest of the PAC 12, the West coast conference is a uh, disrespectful. That's disrespectful to Jonathan Smith. That's disrespectful. <laughs> Will not stand for it. That's disrespectful to Jed Fish. His teams play hard. Did you you guys see Sankey's comments about like why he was all of a sudden in favor of playoff expansion? I think it was an athletic article, maybe Auerbach or or, or Staples. Um, I forgot who, so apologies if any of y'all are watching this. Um, He started to talk about how he worries about the regionality of the sport. Yeah, he and, said and, uh, a te- it, it's messed up that a team from the West Coast did not make the playoff for X number of years. Yeah, and for 17 years now, a team west West Mississippi has not won the national title. You know, if you watch the uh, if you watch the All Star game over the weekend, the high school East team much better than the West team. Like West team had point, better kicker though. Yeah. Oh, A and M's punter by the way is a stud. Like. I mean, there's no five-star punters, but that kid can really boom it. Um, I, I do kind of worry about that, right? Just the the amount of talent out west at the high school level dwindling over time, and what yeah. it does for the sport. I I think that is 
a legitimate concern, but I also think the regionality aspect to it is like, if you look at who's won national titles, what was it like 17 of the last 18 or Southeast, right? I think that area of the country cares a lot more about winning a national title than the other regions of the country do. Like, I don't think Pac-12 teams winning a national title is like outside of USC. I don't think it's that important outside of the big 10, outside of Ohio state. I don't think it's the most important thing outside of television companies in the Northeast. I don't think national titles are the most important things. It's just, I don't know. So I, I, I feel, I, I agree with Sankey that you don't want the sport to become too regionalized, but at the same time, the sport always has been regionalized. I agree. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sort of like, I think Sankey's concern is top down. I'm a little more worried, like bottom up as far as does High the school. lack of like, yeah, like the representation or lack thereof from West coast teams, does that filter down uh, to a lack of participation at the high school level out West? You fear soccer. Yes. And Victor Wimbanyama not coming to Orlando. Dude, I, I did watch his highlights yesterday. Yeah. So I didn't realize that the Magic are not in last place. No. Yep. So I'm, I'm going to need Magic to start tanking. Like, what are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> but it's still the lottery balls. Yes. Right. I hit up my group chat and I, like, like we don't, and I was like, hey, like, I know a couple of them have Magic tickets. My like, bro, this Wimbanyama guy is going to be awesome for us. And this is going to be, and they're like, well, we're not in last place. Like, you know, we're not guaranteed to get him. And I was like, oh. need some Went frozen envelope Nick stuff here, man. Yes. But already, Bet already, but already ordered his Wemby magic jersey. He was going to wear it on the show next week. <laughs> oh man, so good. I, mean, I, you know, I, I feel like with with with, with the Rays locking up, you know, the, the shortstop, we can finally buy my son a, a Rays jersey, right? So mm -hmm. maybe a maybe a magic jersey could be there. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We will be back next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Unless Jim Harbaugh leaves to go to the NFL before then. We'll see. Jim? No, no, we'll be back on Tuesday. Tuesday or Wednesday. We'll see. Monday Monday is a holiday. We hope everyone enjoys uh, your holiday weekend. Uh, and let's see. If, hey, did y'all see the headline? <laughs> Sorry. I mean, this is uh, very into the show stuff. So I was looking at a headline of a national site. It was not ours. And the headline tease was, former Stanford coach... Interviewing with the Broncos. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not that former Stanford coach who's currently at Michigan. The former Stanford coach that's out now, David Shaw. So I was like, ah, tricky, tricky. I like the way you saw that right there. Uh, but yeah, we will be keeping tabs on all of the, uh, on all the, ooh, Derek Mason leaving Oklahoma State. Wow, another one hits the portal out of Stillwater. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. So what's our like Oklahoma State and Arkansas are currently leading the ugh, power rankings? Arkansas is not I think Oklahoma State is probably like an order of magnitude worse based on like the number of actual starters who are leaving unexpectedly. Mm. But Arkansas has definitely lost some board guys. We'll be keeping tabs on it, and we will uh, keep you updated here on the Cover 3 Podcast. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Shout out to the newest Cover 3 listener, Teddy Clark.
world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!